Hey, Digital Fam, welcome to the sixth and final week of our series on how to live as neighbors. We close out this series by hearing Beth and Shannon talk about how important it is to take action along with our thoughts and prayers. We explore this idea of everyday activism against the backdrop of the story of the Hebrew midwives from Exodus. This series is based on the upcoming book by author Shannon Martin entitled Start With Hello and Other Simple Ways to Live as Neighbors. Let's join in for the final week of our series. Thanks so much, Mariah. I also just want to say, we want to say thank you so much to the South Bend City Church team um, for creating space, providing space for reflection and response um, regarding the lives lost the last two weeks. Um, Shannon and I have this unique perspective of um, being able to teach on occasion, and yet we do this from a volunteer position, and it gives us a wide open window into all that goes into um, shifting on a dime to uh, make last-minute changes, to recognize and honor the personhood of the individuals um, um, who are no longer with us. So thank you so much to the team. Also, one other thing, um, we're going to talk this morning a little bit, do a little bit of a recap on how to live as neighbors But Karen has provided, Karen Grant has provided this really helpful resource for caregivers, parents, families. Um, It's a guide for when bad things happen. If you are looking for some words to um, have conversation with the little people in your life, this is a really helpful resource. If there are no more left out there at the end of the gathering, um, we will print some more and make them available for you all. So just wanted to mention that as well. So we're in our last six weeks of this series on how to live as neighbors. Um, This series is rooted in Shannon Martin's, Shannon Martin's book, Shannon's here with us, um, called Start With Hello. And we have been talking through um, the essential essential actions of what it looks like for us to live as neighbors based on two things, right? We're defining neighbors as the people who are in close proximity to us. So sometimes those are our actual neighbors. Sometimes those are our classmates our workmates, our hallmates. They're the people that we have daily interaction with, that we rub shoulders with um, in our everyday lives. We've also been talking about how living as neighbors can be different than this idea of neighboring, right? A lot of times in churches, we talk about being a good neighbor. We read the Good Samaritan, and then we encourage and challenge you all to go out and do good things for the people in your lives. And what we've um, talked about early on is this is not just about being a good neighbor, It's about like receiving somebody else's attempt to be a good neighbor, that this is a two-way street, that there's some giving and some taking and some receiving. Like some of you actually need to um, step it up and maybe be a good neighbor, like give love, um, pay attention to the people in your life. And some of you maybe need to receive the neighborly love of the people around you. And so that there's this give and take of how to live as neighbors. Um, The last few weeks, we've been talking about how to pay attention how to lean in when it's hard, how to listen, how to let go and be present. And Shannon, you um, so thoughtfully described this as being hospitable, how to be hospitable, how to practice empathy and build connection. So before we dive in today, we're just going to take a few moments and um, do a little bit of an open floor. And Shannon and I would love to hear from you What's one thing or one area of your life from this series over the last few weeks that has compelled you to action as a result of talking about how to live as neighbors? So one thing or one area that has compelled you to action as you think about how to live as neighbors. And we're okay with silence. (laughs) 
Go ahead, Amina. To be hospitable? Yeah. In a specific way or just in general? That's awesome. Amina did a walk and talk, and she invited a buddy to walk with her. I love it. Reading one of the books that Kathy recommended. Do you, Mara, do you mind sharing which book? Okay. <laughs> yes, that is the action step you're taking. I love it. Angela. Love that. Love it. (laughs) Angela's saying she got over herself and being hospitable with people um, in the midst of her moving boxes. Yeah, Lara. Lara's trying to be intentional just to be in the moment and listen. And that is hard for some of us, right? That takes a lot of practice. Anyone else? All right. Um, Real quick, speaking of how to lean in when it's hard, um, Karen has a guide here. If you are a caregiver or a parent or a teacher or a family member, um, there are guides out in the atrium area, a guide for when bad things happen. This is a really helpful resource as we connect with our kids um, just regarding recent events. So, yeah. Well, thank you for helping us as we recap this series. It's hard to believe that we are in the last week. This is week six of six weeks of the series, so we're, we're kind of wrapping this up together today. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of sad about it, if I'm being honest. It's been wonderful being here with you. So this week and our final week for the Start With Hello series, we are talking about action, taking action. And specifically that we believe embodied intentional action is the glue of healthy communities. So a lot of these themes as we've moved through this series, they keep kind of popping back up because it's, it's not a sort of thing when we learn to live as neighbors with each other, taking turns, giving and receiving. The, the areas kind of blur together. They bleed together and they should. And so one of the things that we've talked about, we've touched on it here and there, is that we have to kind of get out of our heads and what we think about things, and we have to actually build our resistance to do the thing. And so this is, this is kind of the culmination of this, that we really do believe that it is in taking action that bonds us together, that makes us community and family in a really meaningful way. So today's scripture is from the book of Exodus chapter one. This is a story of resistance. It's a story of that action, that embodied action that we're talking about today. On its face, it seems pretty dramatic, at least it did to me. And I think that's because the context is just different. It's unfamiliar to me. And so what might read as pretty dramatic, I think was actually very ordinary in the lives of the, of the people who were present in this story. This is the story of the resistance of women. And I think the women that we're about to read about were, were choosing their intentional embodied action in the midst of their ordinary lives, their ordinary jobs. This was just 
another day for them where they made that intentional choice to act because they knew it mattered. And I'll read now. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, which is to say because they loved God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So I want to give a little bit of background setting for this story. This story of the midwives was not a story that I really learned much about growing up as a child in the church. Um, I was familiar with the story of Moses, and we'll touch on that just a little bit. But this story is, is taking place in Egypt, particularly, and I have to point this out, in the land of Goshen. This is where the Israelites had settled. I live in Goshen, for those of you who don't know. So that's a, that's a special detail for me. But it says Goshen was a well-watered land. It was, it was ideally positioned. Which is why you can grow amazing flowers. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, and, and you all may have taken some seeds last week, so don't forget to plant those seeds. Um, the story takes place in the context of Joseph having been appoint, appointed by Pharaoh as the governor of the land in the past. So Joseph is appointed as governor. He saved Egypt from, from famine. And because he was instrumental in this, in this sort of... Um, ensuring the safety of the people, Pharaoh was indebted to him for a long time. But now, years later, Joseph is gone, and it says Pharaoh does not remember him. Pharaoh does not remember Joseph. And this doesn't mean that Pharaoh has just completely forgotten who Joseph was. What this means is that that Pharaoh no longer feels indebted to Joseph. It's sort of like that, that has passed, and we are moving on now. Because of this, the fate of the Israelites hangs in the balance. Because the, the people of Israel landed in this well-watered place called Goshen, and, and it was very strategically located, so there were people coming and going through this particular place, this increased the pressure on Pharaoh to squelch the population. So now Pharaoh is starting to feel threatened by the Israelites. He was threatened by their resilience and by their strength. Pharaoh first sought to curb their population under the constraints of brutal slavery. That was kind of his first idea was basically, we're just going to work them to death. But even under enslavement, the Israelite population grew. They gained in number, they gained in strength. And so Pharaoh has now changed his tactic. And here enters... These two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, and it is, it is meaningful that they are named in the scripture. A lot of times in scripture we see, you know, the woman or the women. Here they are specifically named. 
And up to this point in the story, only men had been named. And so this is significant. This is something we should pay attention to. Now, being a a midwife in this day basically means these are the obstetricians. These are the ones delivering the babies. They are not there simply to help or assist. They are doing that work. And so the fate of these infants are really quite literally in their hands. Pharaoh underestimated Shifra and Pua because they were women and because they were Hebrew. So in two different in two different facets, they were marginalized people. Because of this, Pharaoh kind of just dismisses what they are capable of. And I love that some of you kind of caught their like, well, whoops, what can we do? They are using their cunning, their wisdom, their smarts, their grit. They are using deceit even. They're using tools of the empire in some ways to work against empire. Their story shows us that, again, this is a theme that runs through scripture. Some of the lowliest in society, according to cultural contexts, can bring about the greatest change. Liberation is the heart of God. We see this over and over and over again. So these women accept the mission. They say to Pharaoh, and remember, these are Hebrew women. So he's essentially asking Hebrew women to destroy their own people, to kill their own people. And in the face of that meeting with this Egyptian Pharaoh, they're saying, oh, okay, got it. Got your orders. And then they immediately defy those orders. They had to think on their feet. And God blesses this civil disobedience. God blesses these acts of deceit against empire. Shifra and Pua did not merely defy Pharaoh. That's not what they're famous for in and of itself. It's pretty cool, but we are not talking about them because they defied Pharaoh. We are talking about them because they so loved God that they put their bodies into that action. They did what it took. They were spiritual leaders, and they are now for us spiritual leaders. There's a book called Abuelita Faith by Kat Armas. You know, I always have to recommend somebody else's book in every sermon. She says this, what would our churches look like if we celebrated and emulated the faith and knowledge of overlooked women used by God to challenge empires and liberate people? So for just a quick point of context, leading out of the story of these these two midwives who refused to do what Pharaoh instructed them to do, and they allow these boys to live. You know, there's this element of Pharaoh was so concerned about these men who would grow into, he was concerned about boys who would grow into men. Meanwhile, these women were the ones ultimately kind of taking down this scheme. Soon after this story, though, it leads directly into the story of Moses being being born and, you know, being placed in the basket. This is a, a very popular kid's Bible story. Moses' infant life as well is spared by the rescue of subversive women who were not afraid to embody their God-honoring beliefs. So these two stories kind of bump right up against each other. And in both cases, we see marginalized women, subversive women, bringing about God's plan to save these people. 
which I think is not unlike the embodied action that we see um, represented in the parables. So Jesus is telling, communicating the parables to his first century Jewish audience, and he's very well aware of what he's doing um, as he shares these parables. So as he shares the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the lost coin or the mustard seed, these are parables of embodied action. And that's what we're talking about today. Because when we talk about this whole idea of reflection and response, it's really easy for us to stay, um, to take action in theory, but what does it look like for us to actually practice taking action in our everyday lives? That's what we're talking about today. Everyday activism. Um, Shannon, you have this great quote in your book that reads, there's a massive difference between loving people in theory and loving them in the moments by name. It's up to us to choose. Are we content to stand on a digital street corner and preach? Or are we ready to throw down our megaphones and walk straight into traffic? Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think this is the, the big idea that we're going to be confronted with over and over again as we really seek to live as neighbors. It is so much easier to love someone theoretically, to love the idea of someone, to even say, to put a sign in our yard, that we love these people, we love this certain group, we love this particular cause. When it comes down to actually loving a person by name, it gets messier quickly. It gets complicated and it gets hard. And one of the things we've talked about through this series is we can't actually love what we don't actually know. And we can't actually know anything if we're not paying attention and putting our bodies in those places of, of tension and pain. So this is all about making that shift from thoughts and prayers to meaningful, actual, embodied movement. While this is a necessary change, a necessary movement, a necessary shift, it is not easy. Right. I think a lot of us are asking, where do we begin? Especially in light of the last few weeks, right? Where, um, where there's been a lot of conversation about thoughts and prayers versus Mm -hmm. actions. Like where do we begin based, based on your perspective? We begin right where we are. That's where we start. I, I love that Mariah spoke back to the quote by Barbara, Barbara Brown Taylor. We begin right where we're sitting in that immediate estate, that's where we begin. So we begin where our hearts are beating out of our chests. We begin where we might be feeling angry, where we might cry. We're listening to our bodies because the truth is we cannot, the the call here is not for everybody to go forth today and, and be embodied and active on every single issue, every single cause, every single concern that's impossible. It's overwhelming. And if we allow ourselves to get overwhelmed, then we become stuck. Then we become paralyzed. So the work is to find the thing or the couple of things that matter most to us and figure out a path of action so that we're pulling our ideas out of our brain and we're living them in our actual physical bodies. There's a quote by Sister Helen Prejean that says being kind in an unjust system is not enough. Being kind is not enough. Thoughts and prayers are not enough. And so where do we go from there? We put our bodies to the work we believe in. Making these issues less hypothetical and abstract. 
Let's talk for a quick moment about why we resist. We touched on this for just a moment. We resist this action because we are tired. Can I get a witness? We are busy. We are afraid of doing something wrong. That's a big one. Maybe we're just a little self-centered. Maybe we're just boring old scared. Or maybe we think it has to be personal for us in order for us to actually care. So, so this is about kind of breaking down those things that stand in our way and deciding that we are going to start. We're going to start anyway. Which we're calling everyday activism. Yes. Yeah. yes. And you have a couple of tips for us all. Yeah. Yeah, so let's go through, and we're just going to, we're going to, we're trying to really, we've, our goal has been to make this as practical a series as possible. And that's the heartbeat of the book, Start With Hello, is to make this, to break it down, and to make it really bite-sized and practical. And so we're going to continue with that theme of everyday activism. Okay, that ordinary, the things that pop up in our ordinary lives, how do we begin? Number one, we set the intention, and we do our homework. So we're not going to actually ever get started if we don't decide we're going to get started. It sounds so basic, but sometimes it really does actively, we need to, to switch that lever in our brains. We can't default to just being overwhelmed. And that is really hard right now because the bad news just keeps coming. The issues just keep growing and spiraling and it can feel too much. But we've got to kind of untether ourselves from this feeling of like, this is this is too much. Anything I do is going to be too small. And then we end up just kind of living in our, in our brains. So we set that intention. Number two, we just start Googling. We start reading books. We start reading the news. We read widely. We read different kinds of sources, even if they might make us a little uncomfortable. We just do the work. We cannot expect to be spoon fed as we are learning about a particular issue or an area we can't expect to be spoon-fed by the people around us. We can, we can purchase and read and value the work of the experts and the educators. We can buy their books and then read them. Buying the book doesn't really do a lot for us if we don't read it, and, and I'm preaching to myself there. <laughs> we can pay them for their expertise, recognizing that their labor has come at a personal cost to them. Yeah, absolutely. And if buying a book isn't an option for you, um, checking it out of the library or paying for um, the course or having someone gift you the course that goes along with the book is a really helpful thing. Are there additional things um, that you would? I don't think so. We can just move on to the, yeah. to the next thing here. Stay curious and expect mistakes. So both of these are kind of along the lines of things we've talked about for the past six weeks, particularly this idea of staying curious. That has come up week after week after week. Here's an example. As, as As we're thinking of the idea of remaining curious, what that's basically saying is we can't just move from one sort of silo to another silo. So maybe we're growing in a particular area. We're learning about something because we've decided it matters to us and we want to learn. We want to make up for lost time. I personally, there was so much that I was not taught And so now it's on me to do that work, to educate myself, and it never ends. It's a never-ending process. But the the problem begins if I just simply decide, like, okay, I was over here, now I'm over here on X, Y, or Z. 
And then we leave behind the people who were where we once were. We stop being curious. I mean, there's an element of, you know, being in safe community, but there's also the problem of surrounding ourselves only with people who see something exactly the way we do. So again, we commit to being curious, to listening to different voices, and then we expect mistakes. One of the areas of growth for me right now and an area of learning that I've been on for a while and will continue probably forever is an anti-racism journey. And this is one of those things that I just simply was taught almost nothing about growing up and even in young adulthood. As I've, as I've sought to kind of begin to do that work, it has been important for me to listen to voices that I, that I haven't heard, that I haven't been exposed to. One of the things that my BIPOC friends have said to me is like, you're for sure going to make mistakes as you do this, because that's one of the things that has really held me back. There's this fear, particularly around an issue that's very sensitive of like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to cause further pain. And it's feelings like that that can cause us to kind of close in on ourselves and just be silent. And so I have friends around me who are saying, yeah, you are going to make mistakes. Just expect it. You'll make mistakes. You'll pick yourself back up and you'll move on. Yeah, I think a really important point that I've learned from you, Shannon, is um, as we stay curious, you know, you mentioned like a safe space to stay curious. So it's really important that we're not just surrounding ourselves with people who agree with us, right? That there are places where we're actually engaging in conversation with people who have different perspectives, who think differently than we do. But having a safe space is a really important part of that because I think there are people who agree with everything we say, right? There are um, people who we think are going to be the safe people um, to be curious with, and they're actually not. And sometimes those are the people closest to us. And then there are the people where we can stay curious, we can agree to disagree, we can engage in conversation, and maybe they're not the people who are in our everyday lives who are closest to us, but they are the safest place for us to stay curious and expect mistakes. And the people who will also call us out. Feel free to call us out when we make those mistakes and help us be better, which leads to number three. Yep. Receive, critique, and apologize. So these, these, these things that we're listing, they're like little pieces of a bigger whole. And so they build against each other. We, we need to be willing to receive critique from people we trust as we are learning and growing. One of the areas that I have seen this in my life is, again, as I'm thinking about or talking about my anti-racism journey, to find trusted friends of color, women of color, who I have given carte blanche and said to them very directly, when I mess up, because we've already said we know to expect failures, we know to expect bumps in the road, when I mess up, please, please very directly let me know. And this doesn't mean that I need to be kind of coddled or, you know, made to feel that it was okay. These women in my life in particular have, have embraced that role when necessary and will send me a message or call me on the phone, whatever the case may be, and say, let's talk about this thing. What if you consider it this way? Or I, I'm somebody people can be pretty blunt with and they know it. So like, you got this wrong, Shannon. <laughs> You need to fix it. And so be, having trusted people around us where we can receive their critique, it's the only way we're going to grow. It's uncomfortable, 
And it's a little scary, but when it's trusted people close to us, we need to be willing to hear it and receive it and then apologize over and over and over again, as many times as it takes, resolve to do better, apologize with no strings attached. Yep. And number four is speak up and make the change. Preaching, this idea of just like preaching about a particular topic or getting up on our soapbox. I love getting up on a soapbox, by the way. I love it. That is not the end goal. You know, part of my job exists on the internet. And so we've all kind of come to this place of, you know, it can be easier to talk about big things on the internet when we're just kind of typing on a screen. The end result is not to be somebody out there preaching into the wind. However, we've got to be willing to use our voices, not just on screens or online, but in the world we are in, in the communities we are in. Without rooted action, our hot takes and big opinions are performance. And so we, you know, we talked about placing that sign in the yard, and that's just easier than, than having actual relationships and conversations. This is another example of that. Coming to a place where we can use our voices, use our words in local, rooted ways. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you? Uh, yeah, I'll give an example. I recently went to a school board meeting with a friend of mine just to support her. Um, she was confronting a system about an area where her child was being um, not treated quite with the full dignity that he needed to be treated. And through the course of that, of that meeting with her, you know, I kind of thought I was just sitting there with her in solidarity. And that's important, too. She wanted me to be there, and I wanted to be there with her. But I started to feel that sense. You know, you get that feeling in your chest where I was like, okay, I know that part of my solidarity to her is speaking up on her behalf. And not just sitting there with her, but actually walking up to the mic. And I was nervous. I was nervous and feeling insecure and unsure feeling unprepared in many ways, but walking up to that microphone and saying to a room of people who are part of my community as well, this is also an experience I have witnessed and this is what it looks like. So that's just an example of actually using my voice. You know, it's, it's one thing to write about this stuff. It's another thing to stand in local places where everyday life is happening around us and speak up. Yeah, I think both with Speak Up and with the very first Everyday Activism Set the Intention, it's really important for you to understand you, right? And the work that I do in my everyday life, I use a lot of personality assessments, strengths assessments, and not all of us are wired to like be the first person to speak up when something happens. Some of us kind of wait in the wings. We see how other people are responding. Some of us retreat. And so I think know what it's like for you to set your intention. Know what it's like for you to speak up. Um, a couple years ago, we were living in Southern California, and I realized that most of my neighbors and my coworkers and the people I was rubbing shoulders with in my everyday life um, were undocumented, and they needed character reference letters because that's a really important part of their process um, on the immigration journey here in the U.S. 
It took me like five minutes to write a character reference letter. Like there are really simple things that we can do when it comes to speaking up and making the change. And it doesn't always look like um, needing to hop on social media. It can um, be us paying attention to the needs of the people around us and stepping into those needs with them. And I want to just add one more point to that. I like that you mentioned it took you five minutes. Sometimes something seems so small that we're not sure it's enough. And so we end up not doing the small thing. Small things are the only things. Our lives are made of these small things. And so we can look at the areas, just to use your example, Beth, of like, Beth is a writer. She's a really thoughtful person. She understands people well. She's good with a pen. And so for her, what was a small thing to, uh, to somebody else might be a really big thing. Mm-hmm. So finding those, those strengths that we already have and, and using those to move ourselves forward. Yeah. And then lastly, we are going to stay in it. When people tell us our activism is creating division, we can remind them that injustice itself is what is creating the division. It is not us. It is not the one speaking out against injustice causing the division. It is the injustice itself. So when we feel maxed out, we need to take a break and rest, but we need to stay in it. When people talk smack about us or even walk away from us, we need to stay in it. This is that commitment, that grit that we saw in the Israelite people and in the midwives. We stay in it. There's a quote by my friend and a fellow author, Deidre Riggs. Scared is how you're feeling. Brave is what you're doing. I think that's just a beautiful way to kind of cap that off. Yeah, I love that. Scared is how you're feeling. Brave is how you're doing. What you're doing. Brave is what you're doing. That's really beautiful. For me, staying in it um, has looked like um, staying in it even when some people and close people in my life were really critical of me staying in it, of this everyday activism. Um, I think I was surprised to hear things like, we didn't raise you that way. And I thought, oh, yes, you did. You did raise me to use my voice to stand up for people when they need to be stood up for, to lean in instead of lean out, to listen well and stay curious and act. Um, ask thoughtful questions. That is how I was raised, right? And so staying in it, again, looks a little bit different for all of us, but stay in it. It's so worth it. Um, Guys, we have been wrapping up the last few weeks with a weekly practice every week. And so our weekly practice this week, we want you to pull out those postcards that were on your chairs. Um, You're going to need a pen. If you need a pen, please raise your hand and someone will get a pen to you. And we're going to go back to that open floor question, and we're going to encourage you to write down what's one area or one thing from this series or from today, if you're visiting us for the first time, how about from today, that compels you to take action, and then what are you going to do about it? Um, What's one thing that compels you to take action, and then what are you going to do about it? If you would like us to mail this reminder to you, go ahead and add your address to that, and you can drop it off in the baskets as we close out our time, and we'll actually mail that to you as your reminder, or you can take it with you today. Um, But we want you to think about one area or one thing from this series or from today that compels you to take action and write down what are you going to do about it as we learn to live as neighbors. Just wanted to pop on here and say that even though you as our digital family don't have postcards in your hands, we would love for you to engage in this practice with us. 
So if you want, pull out a sticky note or if you have window or mirror markers or even if you want to write yourself a letter and go to the post office and send it to yourself, we would love for you to write down your action step as well. So the one thing um, that you're going to do to take action as you live as a neighbor, as you give and as you receive what it means to be a neighbor. Whether you decide to add your address to this and we send it to you as a reminder or you decide to take this card with you, may this be your reminder that thoughts and prayers are good but it has to be followed up with action. That is how to start with hello. That's how we live as neighbors, that we move towards one another. Um, Many of you have been asking about Shannon's book, Start With Hello. It comes out in October. Kathy Burnett of Brain Lair Books, who was here with us last weekend, she has so graciously added a link to her website. There's also a QR code out in the atrium as you're leaving. If you wish to pre-order this book um, or ask Kathy to set a copy aside for you um, while you uh, gather some funds to pay for the book, um, that's an option. So through brainlairbooks.com or through the QR code um, as you're as you're heading out today. South Bend City Church, if you are able, please stand with me for the benediction. For the benediction today, I am reading something I wrote called A Neighbor's Blessing. May you go out into this bewildering world warmed by the fire of possibility. May you come to see walking shoes, soup spoons, minivans, and wrinkled hands as worthy tools for connection. May your heart stay tender, your hands stay open, and your door stay easy on its hinges. May you find comfort in the moon, art in the clouds, and goodness in the faces around you. May you gather, listen, and hope relentlessly. And may you never give up on the living light of belonging right where you are. Grace and peace and gumption to you. And also to you. Amen. See you next week.